Good morning, everyone. Happy Tuesday, February 27th. Welcome to the Jennifer and Wendy Show. Wendy Weesoff today. Joe Holliman from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch is filling in. Morning, Joe. How are you? Good. Connor McCarthy is here as well. Good morning, Connor. Good morning. And the Royal Banks of Missouri text line is open at 84126. Uh, in just a few minutes, we will talk with KTRS legal analyst Greg Willard about social media laws and the Supreme Court. They're hearing a couple of cases. Nancy Schnobel and Ims will join us to talk about business etiquette and behavior in the workplace. Ike Jachi from ABC News will be along at 1050. And then Dr. Jason Edwards, a St. Luke's radiation oncologist, will join us in our next hour about stress and cancer. First, though, about that Royal Banks, Missouri text line, 84126. As you may or may not know, the St. Charles Boat Show will begin on Thursday and run through Sunday And what a great thing this is at the convention center. We are giving away a four-pack of tickets to the fourth texter. All you have to do is text in Boat Show, and the fourth texter will hear from our sales associate, Mark Kelly, and you will get a four-pack of tickets to the St. Charles Boat Show. It's at the St. Charles Convention Center Thursday through Sunday. And while you're there, you can register for $1,000 worth of free gas. They have all the new 2024 models on hand, two complete levels of boats and boating accessories. So if you would like a four-pack of tickets to the St. Charles Convention Center Boat Show, just text in to 84126, and the fourth texter will hear from Mark Kelly, and we will give you free tickets for that. Joe Holliman, how's everything in the newspaper business? It is uh, rolling right along. We (laughs) We came out today like we do every day. So uh, I have no major complaints. Uh, You know, it's kind of uh, trying to sustain the energy. Uh, This is an election year, and everybody's trying to, you know, figure out what's going on. And you have to remind people every once in a while, it's February. Mm -hmm. Primaries don't happen until August. Elections aren't until November. And I always caution people who, and it's interesting, and I'm I'm interesting what uh, Greg has to say about social media. Because what it's done is expected there's supposed to be something brand new every day. You know, just keep feeding that beast right. of information. And really, a lot of it's not. So what you have are people looking in February, trying to predict what's going to happen in August. And believe me, you are much more safe trying to predict where the Cardinals will finish in September <laughs> yeah. than what can happen in politics between now and August or between now and November. But it, it's funny. People just expect a new development every day. Well, I heard an ABC News reporter, Brad Milkey, this morning talking about the Supreme Court and social media laws, and somebody was comparing it to newspapers, saying, you know, the federal government can't tell newspapers what to say or what not to say. And so why should they be able to say this about social media laws? But we'll find out more about that. (laughs) I have a few thoughts on that. from Greg (laughs) Will. And thank you for all of the – okay, we have lots and lots of texts, so – Connor will take care of the fourth texter, and you will be getting a phone call from Mark Kelly uh, about that. Yeah, it, it is interesting. The reporter also said that Clarence Thomas asked a question that some people in the courtroom kind of snickered at about algorithms. And then the reporter said, I don't know the answer either. He's being honest. And, you know, the Supreme Court justices may not be as tech savvy as rest of us, but it was a legit question to ask about how these algorithms work. I mean, I'm, I'm not a believer that there's no such thing as a stupid question. There are. Yes. But, <laughs> but ask know, it anyway, but, right? But, but ask it anyway. And the thing is, is that uh, there's a whole lot of people who pretend they know things. Like if you grab 10 people and said, explain to me what an algorithm is. 
And I'm guessing half would give some serviceable definition, mm-hmm. but not something that someone who really knew what algorithms were right. would say, no, that's not right or whatever. But then we just push on in our ignorance and go, well, the algorithms said. We have no <laughs> idea what that meant, but, you know, uh, so, yeah. And speaking of political ads, my significant other is in Dallas on a business trip and said the negative TV ads are un. Believable there so much more so than here at this point. We'll get them too. Oh, you know, and it was, I remember 25 years ago, 30 years ago, the argument was, oh, so and so went negative. You know, now they all go negative. And, and it's because, and I don't know if this says more, sadly, it doesn't say, it doesn't speak to the politician, it speaks to the American public. We like the negative ads. Mm -hmm. We really do. And shame on us, but we do. We like the slander. We like the criticism. We like the cynicism. You know. And do they work? They must work. They wouldn't do them if if they they didn't didn't. work. I I mean, you know, and the other thing is, too, is, is when you're left with sometimes, quite often, too often, you're left with two candidates who really neither are bringing a lot to the table. And I won't point to any examples on any elections, but we have a a, a nation right now that 73% of the people who identify as independents don't want either Trump or Biden to be president. I mean, think about what almost three out of four people who consider themselves independents do not want either candidate. Either right. 53% in another poll that I saw, and again, for all the polls you see, but 53% of the people of any party said they don't trust either one. Well, what are you left with but a negative ad? Because mm-hmm. nobody's believing you when you say, look at me, I've done such a great job. Well, in 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 absence of that, what else are you going to do but tear down your opponent? Exactly. And we get into it. And social media, I think, has been exponential in increasing the negative side of it. We, we revel Yes. In the negative. And those cases are in front of the Supreme Court. So in just a moment, we will chat with KTRS legal analyst Greg Willard about that. Do you, do you still have your parents? I do not. I do not. I, I when, when my dad got sick and they lived in Florida, I had to uh, find a senior, you know, a memory care place for him. And that, that was really hard. Wendy had to do the same thing with her mother, and her mother was in Florida. But if you have parents here in town and you're looking for an assisted living in memory care, it's always a good idea to tour many of them. And you might check out McKnight Place, assisted living in memory care. It's part of the Gatesworth communities. And they really do a good job at helping people make that transition. You know, it's difficult. When you're going into a senior living or memory care place, you've already faced a lot of losses, probably the loss of a spouse, the loss of your house, the loss of your pet. And now you are going into a strange community. But at McKnight Place Assisted Living and Memory Care, they take care of people all the way through the spectrum of what they will go through. And they do a great job at connecting new residents. Um, For instance, they have a daily happy hour at four, four times a week with music (laughs) and entertainment. They also give you all the amenities like weekly linen service, housekeeping services, personal laundry, assistance with dressing and showering, and medication management. But because it's locally owned, if you have a parent there, you can go there and talk to someone who is from St. Louis and cares about St. Louis. They also have predictable pricing, none of those buy-in fees, which can be exorbitant. If you're interested, call Leslie, Kelly, or Gretchen. You can schedule a tour. 
tour with them. Very easy phone number to remember, 314-993-3333, 993-3333. Tell them Jennifer and Wendy sent you, and you'll receive a special offer. Well, Supreme Court is listening to a couple of cases out of Florida and Texas regarding social media laws, so we thought we would check in for... A quick 10 minutes with KTRS legal analyst Greg Willard, St. Louis University law professor. Greg, thanks for joining me. And Joe Holloman is in for Wendy today. Hello, Greg. Jennifer. Joe and Jennifer, great to be with both of you, as always. So can you set the table about this? Well, yes, try to quickly. Um, in the wake of the attacks of January 6, 2021, at the U.S. Capitol, Uh, a belief began to bubble up that certain social media companies were censoring their users. And specifically, the belief was that they were censoring their users who had conservative views. Texas and Florida passed statutes in an attempt to stop what they believed uh, was happening. And number one, those laws in Texas and Florida limit the ability of social media companies to make choices about user-generated content. And number two, they require those platforms to give individual explanations and reasons as to why they did that. Uh, Not surprisingly, the social media companies sued. They received what is called a preliminary injunction blocking uh, the implementation of these statutes. And I'll emphasize the word preliminary injunction and come back to it if we have time, because I think it's a preview of coming attractions as to what's going to happen in the Supreme Court. So the case gets to the Supreme Court, and the court held oral argument yesterday. Oral argument at the Supreme Court, as our regular listeners know, usually takes about one hour. The oral argument in this case yesterday, went on for four hours. Mm -hmm. That uh, is a direct result of how complicated factually, legally, and constitutionally these issues are. So at the end of four hours, uh, I think most... uh, Supreme Court watchers were left scratching their heads as to where it's going to come out. Specifically, uh, there is thought that the court may just uh, sort of uh, wash its hands of this and say, we're going to send it back for a full trial. And there are other thoughts that uh, the court's going to make a sweeping uh, ruling. Uh, We'll have to see, but I think we can safely say on a Tuesday morning, uh, it is one of the most uh, complex and complicated cases the court has had to wrestle with for quite some time, Jennifer. One of the questions I heard today was, is social media 
like a newspaper, and they talked about this 1974 case in Florida, mm-hmm. which they struck That's down, right. which required papers to offer equal space to political candidates who wanted to respond to editorial. So is it like a newspaper? Well, and that was that's part of the factual dilemma. We've got factual, legal, and constitutional. And pa- part of the factual, uh, for old-timers like me, um, is this. Is Facebook, for example, YouTube, are those platforms like the old Ma Bell telephone lines? Or are they more like the St. Louis Post-Dispatch? And so are they merely a transmitter of user-generated content like the old Ma Bell telephones? Or are they publishers? As a matter of constitutional law, if they're a, a mere conduit, a mere transmitter, there is no First Amendment right at that point. Uh, so if if Ma Bell uh, back in the 1950s said, hey, you know what, we're just not uh, we're just not going to uh, allow this right wing organization to use our telephone wires. And, and a law was passed to prohibit that uh, Ma Bell would lose. Because Ma Bell doesn't have a First Amendment right to pick and choose as to who, who gets to use its wires. On the other hand, if um, the Missouri legislature passes a, uh, a statute that says uh, the Post-Dispatch is required to publish uh, user-generated editorials from the Missouri Republican Committee, well, that what the Post-Dispatch does is it is a publisher. It's not a transmitter. It is a publisher, and that brings it under the protection of the First Amendment umbrella. And and that factual distinction was was front and center yesterday for a really long time throughout the four hours, as the as these justices in the in 2024 are trying to uh, apply a constitutional provision written, ratified, and implemented in the 1790s, the First Amendment. And that that piece of this, among several others, is what the court, uh, starting yesterday afternoon, began to wrestle with, Jennifer. So, Joe, like a newspaper can be sued. And have been. For misinformation. Yes. But sure. social media... Cannot is that how, how you see it, Greg? Or th- this uh, decision, which is expected this spring, will somehow monitor that or, or help decide that one way or the other? Great question. Uh, and here we go into the cauldron <laughs> of the complexity. Uh, so, on the one hand, we're talking about you know the First Amendment, which was ratified in the 1790s, and that deals with the. The, the constitutionally protected freedom of a publisher like the Post-Dispatch. But as Joe correctly points out, they can and have been sued for uh, libel, for example. Well, there is a federal statute 
referred to as Section 230 of the Federal Telecommunications Act. And that statute gives these social media sites protection against liable lawsuits. And the the, uh, purpose behind those statutes, as the lawyer for the tech companies yesterday, Paul Clement, pointed out, uh, the lawyer, the, the, the purpose of that Section 230 exemption and immunity um, was based on the expectation that these social media sites would self-censor, would uh, make editorial judgments like the post-dispatch editorial process. Uh, and therefore, Congress gave them uh, if you will, a free pass from these lawsuits. It's pretty clear, Jennifer, that the Supreme Court is not going to give a detailed or most assuredly a definitive interpretation of Section 230. I think what we're going to hear from the court is is much more focused on these very difficult First Amendment issues telephone carrier versus publisher, Jennifer. Greg, I, it seems to me that one of the, the issues here, not in front of the court, but I guess in front of the way the public is watching this, is there are two ways to look at social media. And being an old guy like me, I don't look at social media as a news dissemination organization. I look at it as a giant bar or coffee shop where people yell anything out, and I choose or not choose to believe what I want to, so on and so forth, whereas I look at a newspaper or a television station or radio news as something set apart. But it seems to me younger people don't make that delineation like I do. Joe, I think you've hit hit on a very, very important piece of this, And, and it was one that several of the justices, including Justice Barrett yesterday, struggled mightily with. And that is this notion of some of these websites have what are referred to as news feeds. And many of our listeners may get the bulk uh, of their daily news uh, from news feeds of these social media sites. Uh, then there, and, and that's, that's where a lot of this alleged censorship is going on or editorial judgment. Uh, But then there are other social media sites where it's exactly what you pointed to, Joe. It's sort of uh, the bar down on the corner, and and, uh, it's like the old television show Cheers. And everybody comes in, and they say say what's on their mind, and it's a very open forum for for discussion. That that part, that that bifurcation, that distinction – is among the most difficult questions yesterday for this reason. And I don't want to get too far down in the weeds this morning, but here we go. There are sort of two attacks that are made from time to time on statutes thought to be unconstitutional abridgments of freedom of speech. One is as applied, and one is facial. This litigation... What was before the Supreme Court 
was a facial challenge. And what a facial challenge says, Joe, is that this statute, there is no part of it that is constitutional. It is bad across the board. Mm-hmm. And a and as applied is, well, there may be some parts of this that work and are constitutional, but as applied to me, it's unconstitutional. So what the justices were confronted with yesterday, particularly with the Florida statute, is you have a stat- – it's broader than the Texas statute – with a facial challenge lawsuit. Several of the justices said, well, wait a second. Um, this Florida statute uh, would cover Uber. Uh, it would cover Gmail. Uh, it would cover Etsy. There's no First Amendment issues there. And so you, you you just add another layer of complexities for the, the justices to sort out because is it, again, is it um, censoring news feeds or is it trying to referee discussions down at the corner bar? And, again, that's that's a tough, tough issue, Joe. We, well, we're out of time, but Greg, we will continue to follow this with you in the future yeah. because I know this will continue to go on. We're up against the clock here. <laughs> but thank you so much, Professor Willard, for joining us. Jennifer and Joe, great to be with both of you. Stay yeah. safe. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. Hey, a programming reminder, every Saturday at 3 here on the Big 550, you can listen to a radio show called Keep What's Yours. It is co-hosted by Jeff Zufall of Capital Advisory Group and Josh Gilbert from the Heidi Glau Show, and they talk about money. It's February 27th. You thinking about taxes? You panicking about taxes yet? We don't have to if you become a client of Capital Advisory Group. The radio show is called Keep What's Yours because Jeff Zufall wrote a book called Keep What's Yours, and he wrote this several years ago after he had new clients who came to him and said, I overpaid Uncle Sam. Jeff Zufall said no problem. He refiled their taxes. He was able to recoup money for some of his clients, but he really set out to make sure this does not happen, especially for small business owners. So if you become a client, Jeff Zufall and his staff at Capital Advisory Group, make sure you're up to date on every possible legal deduction that you are entitled to so that you don't overpay Uncle Sam. They'll also talk to you about retirement and saving and investing if you are at the other end of the spectrum or you're just starting out your career. Give them a call, 636-394-5524. Look them up online, capitaladvisorygrp.com. Or get to know Jeff by listening into his radio show with Josh Gilbert. Keep what's yours every Saturday at 3 right here on The Big 550. Knowing how to properly manage yourself in a workplace setting is an important skill, career skills. Some would call them soft skills. Among that is founder and chief of soft skills, Nancy Schnobelin Ims of Polished, STL. STL Polished. Nancy, welcome back to the show. Hi, Jennifer. Well, thank you for having me. So is this a problem in today's workplace? I already know my personal opinion about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> It's funny, you know, business etiquette is, is been around forever. This is not something new. Everybody needs to be put their boat, you know, their best professional foot forward. However, there's been sort of this decline in terms of not only your professional dress, but business etiquette overall. And so, yes, companies are now seeking out uh, 
etiquette experts or soft skill professionals to help kind of instruct uh, their team and their coworkers, their employees, on how to really sh- showcase their their best self and be an ambassador to the to the company's brand. Well, I remember newsrooms from was, decades ago, was, and Joe Holliman is sitting here. I mean, we were like a hotbed of inappropriate, improper workplace behavior, and it was accepted. That, go ahead, Nancy. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say. Again, with with COVID, you know, behind us, mm-hmm. knock on wood, or hopefully, there has been this, and no no finger pointing here, but there has been this lapse in our professional dress. And so, with with companies now mandating uh, their employees to come back at the office, if not full time, in a hybrid fashion, people are sort of like, oh well, I can still be casual. No, you cannot. You're, you know, <laughs> lose the pajama and, bottoms uh, is what you're saying. <laughs> Or your Lulus, right? I mean, our, our, our exercise wear. Interestingly enough, um, there's surveys out there all over the place. And, and, and executives, they'll say, you know, first impressions matter and your your appearance does matter. Um, Career Builder did a study and they said uh, 55% of another person's perception is based on how you look. It's not fair, right? Nobody wants to be judged by their appearance. But at the same time, that that's life. And 75% of executives believe how you dress for work definitely has impact on your performance, your job salary, uh, potential promotions, other kinds of uh, benefits. And so it does matter. And, and believe it or not, your professional dress shouts credibility. And I often tell clients, dress for work like you're going on an interview every day. Mm-hmm. You have to put your best foot forward. It matters. Uh, Joe had a confused look. I know you know what Lulus are. They're yoga pants. Lululemon yoga pants. (laughs) So you've seen women wear them. And, Nancy, I apologize because having worked in a newspaper newsroom for 40 years, now the dress thing I agree, but as far as all the other behavior, etiquette is not even a word that gets mentioned in a newsroom uh, as far as certainly people are sort of taken aback, and this is going back 15 years ago when I was recreating a conversation in the newsroom. And they're like, well, you don't talk like that in the newsroom. And I said, oh, that that wasn't even that one was of the a, worst ones. You that know, was I mean, a sanitized version. Yeah, and they, they said, yeah. well, you know, what about the, the women employees? I said, one of the people in that conversation was a woman. Newsrooms were just a place where that part kind of went away. Though I agree with you about that. We used to have an editor who required you to have a shirt and tie. Mm-hmm. And so we used to have a tie that we would hang in the office at city hall <laughs> so that if we were, if the television crews would come down and we had to be there, you didn't want to get caught on television because if the editor saw you without a tie, you'd get a really pointed note from him. <laughs> Do you need money for a tie? Did you lose your tie signed by the editor? And it'd be like, so we had this crusty, pretty much frozen in place tie that just hung on the coat rack in the city hall office that you would throw over and, and pull up to go out there. So, But, but Nancy, I think yeah, no. you, you're talking about right. more than just inappropriate HR type of conversations, right? You're talking about to put your best foot forward or to advance in your career, which a lot of young people come into a company wanting to do, but maybe not knowing about these soft skills. Exactly. And and if you don't know, it's not your fault. And, and you know, everybody's pointing to these gen... Gen Zs, they've been in the the pandemic. They haven't gotten to go into the workforce. So 
they're the video generation. <laughs> they, they're quick to have this, um, they want responses immediately. And, and again, no finger pointing here because as executives are hiring uh, consultants to come in, there, it's not just the younger generation. It's quite frankly everybody. And we are living in an environment where we are more business casual, but people are taking that casual down to another level. So it's just kind of revamping the uh, the the code of, of dress, if you will, um, and not being because look, let me just backtrack. There's the the suit and ties really are reserved now. I I, I want to believe in for the the banking and legal professions. Although you know there's there's lots of different occasions where, like you were saying, Joe, you're gonna you will be wearing your your best. Uh, outfit if you're facing clients or or the public but we are living in a more dressed down version and we just need to be mindful of what that means and it's just taking down your 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 professional suit and tie to a lesser level um so women you can still wear back in the day open toe shoes were considered not the norm Mm -hmm. And today people are, and I love it that women are showing their authenticity and they're dressing professionally, but they're wearing fun shoes to kind of showcase their personality. And men will wear these funky socks with their pants Mm -hmm. instead of the the solid color socks that were the norm back in the day. So we are dressing it down a bit, but we just need to be aware that is this appropriate for a, a, a team meeting? Right. Wearing my hoodie or, uh, you know, my exercise garb, is that is that appropriate for showcasing my highest level of professionalism when I'm meeting others? I'll tell you what I noticed the other night. I do like watching Nora O'Donnell on CBS Evening mm-hmm. News. I just think the world of her. She had on Lululemons. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's got a great physique. She can wear them. But I was really surprised that she stood there doing the national news with in leg, yoga pants. In yoga pants with a very nice blouse. But I was like, whoa, this seems, I mean, it's mm-hmm. kind of naked, really, even though you're all covered. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. times are changing. We, we <laughs> haven't got to the point where men are wearing yoga pants, are we? On the, uh... They do if you go into well, the running store. Well, that, okay, that's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yes, yes. And let's not just talk about Lulu's, Lululemons. I mean, there's plenty of other wonderful exercise uh, apparel that women and men will wear. Well, but, do you think, Nancy, that it was – when did this happen? I mean, I understand. I love the idea when I work at home that I can sit there in a pair of sweatpants and an old T-shirt. But I also understand that if I'm going out to interview somebody or I'm going into the office, that that requires a whole other level of dress where did where did that determination get lost on younger people? Honestly, COVID mm. that has it's really put a, a peg into you know a square peg into a round hole, and companies are now having to backtrack and, and think about oh gosh, I need to make sure I'm I'm not this isn't going to be a, a lawsuit in the in the making here because you know you want people with different cultures and diversity you want people to really dress in the spirit of who they are, but. Uh, there are there are ways in which you can address that, uh, and and for example, a lot of executives will say, you know, mirror other other senior folks. Uh, if we're wearing khakis and a button down shirt, men, that's what you should wear. Women leaders, if you see, a, you know, a nice cardigan or or a, a, a simple dress, leaders, you know, employees follow that 
code of, of dress. Um, it's not rocket science. I mean, we all know what's appropriate and not appropriate. And, of course, there are startups. You know, we have wonderful startups here in our city uh, who we're very, we're very proud of. And that's a different sort of temperature. If, if you're working in a high-tech startup, yeah, you're going to have jeans and sweatshirts. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But if you're going out to a client, you might, you might want to use common sense and, and put on a, a button-down shirt or something with a collar. Uh, and, and otherwise, there are startups where it's not as casual. So we just have to be – think of what you would wear to a wedding. You wouldn't wear a sweatshirt or, or, or a funeral, for that matter. Whatever the – you want to dress for the environment and what is appropriate. And sometimes that gets a little fuzzy uh, because of COVID. And all these Zoom calls. <laughs> right. Nancy Schnobel and Ims, founder and chief soft skills officer of STL Polish. You can find out more information at stlpolish.com. Nancy, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, thanks Nancy. The Jennifer and Wendy Show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, let's talk relationships. We all want good ones, but they take some work. They take work from all people involved. Have you ever thought about therapy? Why not give BetterHelp a try? It's so easy. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. Wendy and I are both big believers in therapy. I decided to try BetterHelp. And after one session with the first therapist, it it was not a perfect match. So I didn't have to tell that therapist. I just went back online, requested new profiles, and got a therapist who I really liked. It can be a great place to work through whatever challenges you might face, friends, work, your family, your significant other. And therapy is not just for people who have experienced major trauma. It's for people who want to develop better coping skills. It's for those of us considered the worried well. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com slash J&W today. You'll get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash J&W. We are coming up on 1054, so let's quickly check in with Ike Jachi, ABC News correspondent from Washington. Uh, Ike, the president scheduled to meet with some congressional leaders today at the White House? That's right. He's, me- he's meeting with what they're being called as the big four. So uh, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Hakeem Jeffries, and of course, House Speaker Mike Johnson. Uh, this is a big deal. The last time they did this is when Biden, uh, with Biden, was in January, just to discuss how to break a stalemate over border policy and foreign aid. <clears throat> this is signaling that, hey, listen, President Biden has this objective that he wants to do that an overwhelming majority of Americans or a majority of Americans seem to be supporting, and that's providing aid for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Now, since that that time, the last met, Speaker Johnson has rejected a bipartisan border deal and a standalone foreign aid bill out of the Senate. Uh, He's been requesting a one-on-one session with Biden, but so far he's been, uh, President Biden has been denying that. So this is essentially President Biden's way to try to push forward his supplemental funding request to provide aid to those uh, uh, countries in need at the time. And hopefully, you know, his administration said this worked in the past. They're hoping that this could work this time, too. And then we have to worry about the uh, federal shutdown, correct? That's right. You know, lawmakers, here we are again, right? Again, right. Mm -hmm. Again, you know, and it's not that they're lawmakers that are getting this long-term deal. They keep resulting to these short-term funding spending gaps. 
to essentially get kick the can down the road, not for the long term. And you know what we're getting is every you know month or so uh, we have this battle. And essentially, if lawmakers can't reach a spending agreement by Friday night, a partial shutdown will begin, and that's going to affect a bunch of agencies. If by March eighth there is no legislation passed, that's when a total government shutdown will occur affecting paychecks for millions of Americans. We've heard this story again. And this is a direct result of Congress, the Republican-led Congress, unable to really coalesce, work together, and figure out a way forward. And, you know, we've seen the reports that this has been the most unproductive Congress mm-hmm. in modern history. And this is just another facet of that. Ike Jachi from ABC News in Washington, thank you for taking time out to keep us up to date. We'll talk to you again soon. See you later. Uh, on the Royal Blanks, Missouri text line, this is true. Lululemon has appropriate men's attire, Asgard Holiday. Yes, they do. They have men's. They kind of look like dress pants. And I am very not going to call Art Holiday no, about I already yoga know pants. This. Did he really? When, yes. <laughs> you know, he's definitely, without exception, the best dressed man he's, in local yeah, television. Absolutely. absolutely. And it just Sharp so dress. happens, oh, one day said to me, <laughs> Where'd you get that blazer out of the laundry pile? And I'm like, yes, it's linen, so it's wrinkled, but I'm moving. It was on top of the laundry pile, and he's like, burn it. <laughs> and I, of course, who wouldn't take advice from the best dressed man on television? But yes, texter from the wow, 314. Okay. <laughs> there is office appropriate men's attire from Lulu Lemon. Just ask the best dressed man in local television. <laughs> Coming up on top of the hour news with Steve Potter and ABC. We'll be back with the second hour of the Jennifer and Wendy show. Wendy Weiss off today. Joe Holliman filling in after this. This is the Big 550 KTRS St. Louis. This is Jennifer Blom and Wendy Weiss You're a pal and a on KTRS. And if you threw a party, Brought to you by STL Medical Weight Loss. See the Dr. Joe difference at stlmedweightloss.com. Welcome to the second hour of the Jennifer and Wendy Show. Wendy Weiss off today and tomorrow. Joe Holliman is filling in and it is Tuesday. So this is the time when we do Joe's Political Fix, which you can read in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, stltoday.com. And today I was reading your column about bipartisanship. Yeah, yes. Go figure, <laughs> huh? People actually uh, uh, working together on the side. I have sort of a soft spot for stories where a Republican and a Democrat actually get together to actually do something. Now, whether or not you agree that that's a thing that should be done is up to each and every person. But uh, recently in town, uh, U.S. Representative Congressman Jason Smith, who's from down around Rolla, Salem, Missouri, but his district uh, comes up and catches a big chunk of Jefferson County, St. Genevieve County, St. Francis, comes into the St. Louis area. And he's also chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, which is arguably the most powerful committee in the House and quite possibly the most powerful committee in Washington, D.C. It's where all tax bills have to come through. Trade and tariff goes through the ways and means. So it's a very important position. It's one of the highest positions that a Missouri congressman has held since uh, Dick Gebhardt was the House Majority Leader some years ago. Uh, So very big deal. So it's always interesting to see what someone who's in that position is up to. 
And he came to town, uh, obviously, to promote his tax relief bill, a tax credit bill that uh, is to, you know, as the people selling it, you know, help helping millions of Americans and millions of jobs and, you know, and they're selling a bill. I get that. Now, some of these things are increasing tax credits for having children, taking away the penalty for having multiple children so you can get a credit on each child, Mm -hmm. which they used to call the big family penalty, you know, that some people didn't care for. So the bill has all of these different things, disaster relief. What I found interesting about the bill or noteworthy, newsworthy, was that his counterpart in the Senate who helped write the bill is Ron Wyden, a progressive Democrat from Oregon, a a U.S. senator from Oregon. You're not going to be a conservative and get elected in Oregon, So, (laughs) period. So he's a progressive Democrat from Oregon. Uh, Congressman Smith, a conservative Republican uh, from southern Missouri, they both got together and they worked out a bill. And as he was talking about, you know, and he was hitting on all the provisions, and he made a couple of points that I found to be actually more interesting than the provisions. You can go online and find out every detail of the bill. But he said, you know, we got together and we, you know, sat down and there was give and take. So neither one of us surrendered our values. You know, we didn't, you know, sell out, but you gave up to get this and you got this because you gave up that and you worked it out log rolling that they used to call it in politics where you sat in a room and said we're going to come with a solution and so you take someone markedly conservative and someone markedly liberal and they got together and they crafted a bill and neither one of them I'm sure are a hundred percent happy with what's in that bill you know, but so, it's called public service. It's called public service, and it's called moving ahead, trying to make some progress. And it was things that they could live with. And I think now that so many, and it kind of harkens back a little bit to social media in the overall effect. Now it's all about the soundbite, and I hate you. No, I hate you. And this is a travesty. This is an injustice. And what he said, no, we just sat down and we worked it out. Nobody had to surrender their core values, mm-hmm. but you had to give, you had to take. And I said to him, I, I, I said, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I wrote a story about the first year in office of U.S. Representative Nikki Budzinski, who is a Democrat who represents Metro East area in Illinois, has yeah. a portion of that area, St. Clair County, Madison County. Um, and she worked for Governor Pritzker. So we're talking a liberal person who worked for a liberal governor. And she was talking about working with Mike Bost a conservative representative from Southern Illinois endorsed Donald Trump. But they got together to do some agriculture bills to help the farmers in areas in Illinois. Because they're representing their constituents. Thank you very much. And so I was bringing that up, and he said, you know, it's really funny. He goes, Representative Bazinski called me in his role as chairman of the Ways and Means, you know, introduced, I guess, you know, talked to him, how do things work? He goes, and I really appreciated that. And, you know, Because while everything is focused on the I hate you, no, I hate you, government, which we're finding out the president's got to call people basically into the office to say, how do we work together? It used to be we worked together. You went on TV and you yelled at each other, but then you went into the room and you worked it out. And you came up with something that uh, what I like to steal a line from negotiating contracts. I'm a union representative. And 
uh, an old business agent had said, you know, a good negotiation is when everybody leaves the table a little bit disappointed. Mm-hmm. And I thought that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to win everything. I've got nine points on this thing. and I want all nine points. And he's like, you ain't going to get that, Joe. So leave a little disappointed and then down the road you'll go. But you know what? We got some good things. And so when I see this conservative from southern Missouri and a liberal from Oregon or two people in Illinois, one a liberal farmer Pritzker employee and a conservative Trump endorser getting together to do legislation – you kind of hope that maybe there's a little hope for the yes, uh, Democratic process. Exactly. Uh, somebody from the 314 said, Joe, I thought you were starting off when with a joke when you said a Democrat and a Republican got together. Yes. <laughs> well, isn't it a shame? It is a shame. You know, there, there was the days, you remember the time when uh, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan Mm-hmm. We'd get together, you know, and there, there was there was there was also, though, a, a realization there was a humanity to it. I think the one is when uh, 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 Tip O'Neill gave a quote, I believe, was he said something that, that uh, Reagan's budget ideas were, uh, well, they're dead on arrival uh, when he sends them here to the house. So Reagan put him in an ambulance <laughs> and sent him over. That's you know, and it's, it's, I forgot about. <laughs> but now nobody wants to laugh; they just right. want to be angry about it. How dare they? You know, and but at the end of the day, we are trusting four hundred and something Congress members of Congress and one hundred senators to do their darn job. Mm-hmm. Not you know, but now it all seems to be. And, and Representative Smith made a point, and I, I've made this point before, and and I don't mean it to be. I'll call it nibbling on the hand that feeds me. Part of the problem is we in the media. Mm -hmm. We love the argument. We would much rather show you or write about two people screaming at one another than to say, and here's how these two worked out the tax credits for disaster relief. Boring. Right, right. And so we give you the fluff. We give you the sizzle. And I think after years upon years of feeding folks at times nothing but sizzle, they forget there's a stake there. Right. And they, they have no way of even processing that and it's like my side wonderful your side evil yeah and can't we get the sizzle somewhere else like yeah. in tv shows entertainment sure. instead of the people who are you know representing us well and that is the, the most cynical statement uh, that i've ever heard about politics and i've uh, it probably goes back but i've heard it quoted to the original adlai stevenson it was that people get the government they deserve which is a damning statement, basically, but is maybe like I was saying, we like that anger. We get entertained by it. I and know. We, I know you've covered many, many things in your career: crime, entertainment, movies, life, Sherpa. What? Why do you like politics so much? Covering it as a reporter. I like it because it, it is. It is the. Uh, it a lot. It, is, it gives you the most freedom. To distrust and doubt everybody involved. It allows you to be as pure as possible as a reporter. When you cover crime, most often you know who the good guy is, you know who the bad guy is. There are exceptions, but it usually becomes immediately evident what went wrong here. In politics, it's wonderful because you can approach it as there is a potential that not this side or that side, but that both sides are lying to me. Yes. And you get to doubt everybody. And it may sound weird, but that's actually a comfort is just believe everybody's not telling you the truth mm-hmm. and and research it. And I also 
then part of me, there's also the idealistic part that someday I keep waiting for Jimmy Stewart as Mr. Smith actually does go to Washington mm-hmm. and stands up and does something and says, we're, we're headed down a wrong road and we need to stop and forget all this other effluvia that we've attached, so-and-so's this and so-and-so's that, and let's just fix the problems in our country. Let's just forget all the other stuff. Let's forget all what we think about what I consider minor issues and fix the economy, you know, and make this a country where it's safe and secure. Right. And do something about crime, do something about education. But now we seem to be uh, it's devolved to a point quite often to where what we do is just yell at the other side not doing something about crime or education. And it's so important what Joe Holloman is saying, why we need reporters who are suspicious of everything. Your colleague Tony Messenger was on yesterday. His paperback book, Profit and Punishment, comes out, How America Criminalizes Poverty. And if you think you know who the good guy and the bad guy is in all cases, read his book. St. Louis County Library is sponsoring the Jennifer and Wendy Book Club. And Tony Messenger, as part of the author events at the St. Louis County Library, will be appearing at the J on Thursday, February 29th. All you have to do is go to slcl.org for more information about that. That's just one of the things St. Louis County Library does, and we're so happy to have them sponsoring the show. For instance, do you read aloud to your children and grandchildren? Well, you should, and the library has developed these early literacy programs. One of them is called 1,000 Books Before Kindergarten. They provide incentives for the little ones along the way. You know, toddlers love their stickers, and you can get them to read through this program. St. Louis County Library also offers help to entrepreneurs with startups and small businesses. You can actually use your library card if you're an entrepreneur, and you can access free databases. You can learn how to conduct market research, even how to write a business plan. Very simple things that you need if you're an entrepreneur, all takes is a library card. So if you haven't been to the library lately, maybe this is the time of year to check it out. Renew your card. For more information, just go to slcl.org. Jennifer and Wendy, Song of the Day. On the Big 550. KTRS. I chose this Song of the Day because I had a feeling, a sneaking suspicion that Joe Holloman might be familiar with Mama's Pride. Here is our song of the day, Blue Mist. Standing on a bus line, waiting for number nine. Take me home for the last time. Open for the morning rain, fall upon my face, so that it Drops in my eyes. Cause it's a blue wind. In the There's a feeling in my heart that According I to Wikipedia, care. they're still active. Yeah, the Listens. The Listens. Yeah, right. yeah. That was my senior year in high school. <laughs> and we, I mean, they were from St. Louis, right? right. And they were getting played. I can't I can mention another radio station. Casey, right? Casey, yeah, they, which was like the ultimate. If you were a rock exactly, right. person, Casey, you would hit the top. You would hit the big time. And they were playing Mama's Pride, and these kids were like from North County. Uh, it's like they're from St. Louis, and we were like, they're going to be huge. They're going to be as big as the Stones. You know, we loved Mama's Pride. Yeah. And uh, had a bunch of great songs. Uh, 
And, uh, yeah, and, and then years later, uh, being on the radio with our friend, John Carney, mm-hmm. who was buddies with one of the Listons, got to meet him. And I talked about how, oh, man, your first three albums, we just put him, put him on and wore him out, you know, yeah. and, and Blue Mist and Can I Call You a Cab and uh, You Want to Hear the Blues Go to Old St. Louis. They were in everybody's car. Everybody had either the eight track or the cassette bopping around St. Louis, listening to Mama's Pride. Now, surely you have met or interviewed Bob Heil, right, from Heil Sound? He, Only by telephone, oddly he enough. He the yes, talk box. The talk box. So Lynn Benhouse sent me a photograph of him from whenever the Eagles were in town recently, and uh, Joe Walsh went to visit Bob. Right. So there's a picture of Joe Walsh. and, <laughs> and Because <laughs> of Rocky Mountain Way. They're still good buddies, and they're into um, radio. Now, uh, you know what I'm doing. The radio not, production and no 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 uh, not shortwave radio. It's like ham radio. Ham radio. Ham radio? Thank you. Ham yeah. radio. Yes. It's still around, huh? mm-hmm. Ham radio is still huge. Well, you know, I mean, I always remember ham radio people were a very dedicated group of folks. Yes. And they always got those cool license plates. It's still really, really big. Okay, Joe and I uh, were talking about how we both like Ernest Hemingway, and I was complaining about how. What TV people used to say about newspaper people, like, why do they take a whole paragraph to give you the lead uh, lead line? And they're great writers and not great writers. But Joe told me about this story with Ernest Hemingway. Listen to this. So and there is some either Hemingway wrote this, but it looks more like maybe Hemingway copped it from somebody to in most Ernest Hemingway fashion to win a bet in a bar that back in the 30s or whatever, there were these contest called flash fiction how short could you write a story and newspapers would run these things you know back in the days where there were seven newspapers in new york it was kind of a contest kind of thing and hemingway which a lot of reporters had were told at least of my era that you know if you're a reporter don't read william faulkner and write like that the man was a genius writer but that's not newspaper writing Short, get to the point, be active, boom, boom, boom. You know, right. we learned this too, right? And Hemingway was sort of the patron saint of that school of writing. Now, I like Faulkner and John Steinbeck better than I like Ernest Hemingway, but when it comes to writing journalism or writing for a newspaper, I always thought Hemingway was was very good. And so there's this story that he said to said he says I can write a story meaning, you know, a good one, one that'll it, capture you. And all I need are six words. And so they put 10 or $20 down on it. And his story was for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Mm. You know, and it usually takes a second when we, you think wow. of the amount of emotion and where your mind goes with that story for sale, Baby shoes, never worn. And what I've used it is just kind of in my head is, is usually I'll write a story and every story I write needs to be shorter. So I go back and I shorten it because I don't trust anybody else to shorten it. And I figure the more work I do for my editor, the less they'll mess right. with my art, right? So, uh, and it trimmed it down to its its basic. So, and nice. I understand when you were probably getting into journalism, newspaper was very locked into that Four men were injured in a four-car wreck that had occurred about, you know, and you tended to lose interest sometimes. Right, and, and things like beating about the head. 
Yeah. Or shots rang out. I can't stand either one of those. Shots were fired. Somebody was beaten on the head. Yeah. Well, but I mean, we used to do that too. We, sure. You know, we wrote like that too, which is not how people talk. Well, and I, you know, and I, and I, I, the only people who are worse are police officers writing arrest reports. Yeah. <laughs> and the subject <laughs> was is, apprehended. Right. That's where it came from. You mean when we, we caught used, the guy? Right. You know, I mean, uh, get to this, simple it up so that people yeah. want to read it. Because I kind of always went through, and I don't know if somebody told me that or I reached out on my own. If, you know, I write a whole story, and so at the end of a story, I like it to be well-written. But if I can't get you to read the first three paragraphs, you're sure as heck not going to read the last three. So, you know, I try to do a little bit with it, and I keep Hemingway's little uh, for sale baby shoes, never worn. I'm going to keep that in my head, too. It's going to stick in your head. I know. It's amazing. It is amazing. Hey, I want to tell you about Park Provence. It's part of the Gatesworth communities. And if you're looking for a senior living community, you might want to check it out. Conveniently located. It's in Creve Core near Olive and I-270. Uh, they have a memory care community, and finding one of those is no easy task. Dr. David Carr, professor from Washington University, is the medical director at Park Provence. We've had him on the show, and he's a world-renowned expert when it comes to Alzheimer's and dementia. The care team there offers a wide range of activities, and it's interesting how they set it up. There are five interconnected households in the property, and the households are made up of people with similar abilities and care requirements. So, of course, they get better care and they develop stronger friendships. Uh, The care team offers all sorts of art and music therapy. And one of the most amazing things, I visited a memory care community once and there was a woman with Alzheimer's. And her music therapist took her over to the piano and sat her down, and this woman played the most beautiful classical music that she played in her youth, and she remembered all of it. That's just one of the things Park Provence does. People are safe and secure, and they try to keep them active and present. Because if you've ever known anybody with Alzheimer's, we, as people who love them, are supposed to meet them where they are. If you're interested, call Andrew or Michaela. Here's the phone number, 314-542-2500. You can just learn more about Park Provence or you can schedule a tour. Tell them Jennifer and Wendy sent you and you'll receive from Park Provence a special offer. Is there a connection between chronic stress and cancer? Joining us online now is Dr. Jason Edwards. He's a St. Luke's radiation oncologist. Dr. Edwards, thank you so much for joining. Joe Holloman sitting in today for Wendy Weiss. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. What is the connection here? Yeah, so over the past few decades, there's been several studies that have found associations between patients who have high stress and increased risk of cancer and when they look at patients who actually have cancer who are in more stressful environments um, or who have chronic stress, they found that their outcomes are worse. And so there's not a, um, a stone-cold connection, but they find a strong association between those two things. I would think just getting the diagnosis of cancer would cause our stress to go through the roof, for starters. Yeah, yeah there's, there's no doubt about it. And it's, and it's important to separate short-term stress um, or acute stress versus um, chronic stress. And so we all have short-term stress, right, every day. Um, I'm talking on the phone with you. I, you know, there's a little bit of stress with that, and that can be good for us. Um, if you have a strong workout, um, you can have, um, you know, stress hormone release, and that can help your recovery. 
but it's really chronic stress. So it's um, you know stress that's um, unregulated over a long period of time can cause uh, multiple medical issues. Um, it's associated with work, worse outcomes with cancer, but it can also have effects on uh, insomnia, infect, effects on your GI tract, anxiety and depression, and cardiovascular disease. So it's really important to address the stress in your life and deal with it. I, I find it interesting, and I and I I guess I go along. I was a bit surprised that it had an effect uh, with cancer patients. I understand how on your heart and your blood pressure, I guess I could relate to that because I could feel it. You know, when I stress out, I can feel those physical symptoms. Uh, I didn't realize that it basically exacerbated your cancer problem as well. So you mean physiologically it causes the cancer to grow more? Yeah, it's it's kind of an odd concept, right? And and I think uh, you know a rational person would kind of meet that with some uh, level of skepticism. But when you look into the data on it, what they find is, if you have higher levels of stress hormone, your immune system doesn't work as well. And okay. we're, we found that the immune system, uh, you know, in the last twenty years, we found that the immune system plays a critical role in fighting cancer. So much so that many of the new drugs that we treat patients with. Um, are immune modulators, meaning that they improve the ability of the immune system to to kill cancer cells. And so if you have a disruption in your sleep or a disruption in your stress levels, then your immune system's not going to be as good, which opens the door for new cancers and makes your outcomes from uh, current cancers worse. And so that's the link between the two. So is that what we read, immunotherapy? Is that what you're talking about? Exactly, exactly. It's immunotherapy, um, and it amplifies your own immune system to let your body treat the cancer. And the beautiful thing about immunotherapy is patients don't typically have a lot of side effects with them. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're well-tolerated compared to the conventional chemotherapy drugs. Dr. Edwards, I would think the act of going through medical school would be so stress-inducing, and I don't know if it's still where you don't even get to sleep at all. How did you battle stress in medical school? Well, you know, the nice thing about the body is it adapts. Um, People adapt to all sorts of stressful situations, whether they're going through medical school or they're in prison or whatever it may be. And so in my experience, when people are are dealing with a stressful situation, it typically takes them a few weeks to adapt. Um, And then it kind of just becomes the norm. And so, you know, you have if you're dealing with stress, you have two options. You can try to decrease the external stress in your life. Um, but like, you know, that tends to actually create more stress down the road. So if you were to quit your job, you know, that's going to create more stress in the long run. And it's the same. Um, but, but your other option is to internally, um, you know, um, have some uh, biological homeostasis where your, your body and your mind adapts to your current situation. And so for sure, especially in residency after medical school, that's where the sleepless nights come in. And, and it's a tough go. And I'm sure your immune system is, you know, is not the strongest it could be during that time. But you've got to do other, you know, not doing the sleepless nights and the hard hours, that's not an option. And so you have to do some other things to um, uh, kind of bolster your systems, which means, you know, uh, try to avoid alcohol, try to avoid cigarettes, try to eat a little bit better. Even though you're really busy, try to exercise a little bit when you can, and that will make your body stronger to kind of you know, weather the storm. As a non-medical person, it never made sense to me that people going through medical school would be sleep-deprived. It seems 
bad for their health, that it would not help the patients, and it would not help them learn. But that's just me, a regular person who did spend some decades sleep deprived. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so the, they've done studies on this in the residency programs, and the data is actually mixed on it, but they put an 80 hour uh, limit on um, how much you can work in a week. Um, and, 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 you know, some residency programs, that's more strictly enforced and some it's less strictly enforced, but there's only 168 hours in a week. And so 80 <laughs> hours a week is a, a pretty solid, you know, week. And, um, and so it, it's, um, that's kind of a double-edged sword because you don't, you want your residents, you know, somewhat well-rested, um, you know, your young doctors well-rested, but at the same rate, it, it looks like it's extending the training period because when people, you know, if they have a five-year residency, and they have restricted hours. At five years, they may have to do some extra training, um, sometimes in the form of something called a fellowship, um, where you get extra training. Um, and we're seeing more um, residents go into fellowships now, and they think one of the reasons for that may be that they're getting less time in the hospital during their typical residency. Mm-hmm. Do the is the when you talk about the stress, and I'm, I'm I mean I'm a big believer in that. Stress is probably the big killer behind everything, or at least the thing that's pushing every disease. And have seen that, but uh, have seen things about that is still the best way you talk about. And some of it's, I think a lot of people think that, oh, if I have a glass of wine or I have a cocktail, that's reducing my stress. But every time I hear about stress, I always say about alcohol intake. And I think that's at least to the layman counterintuitive because they think, well, if I have a beer or two, that relaxes me. I feel better. That's yeah. helping my stress. Yeah, so it's a paradox. And so like a cigarette um, or a, a beer, um, it does uh, relieve your stress in the short term. And, and, and you know, that's, then you feel good. And so you kind of get some positive feedback from that. But what they find is the rebound from that is not good. And yeah. specifically with alcohol, it really makes the quality of your sleep very poor. Mm-hmm. I, I, want, I wore a, a device that kind of tracks your sleep for a year and a half, and you could, you could see that. I mean, I don't drink a lot. But, but even one beer would, um, you know, very much make the quality of your sleep, um, you know, much less than it, than it typically is. And so um, in, in general, you know, um, even it, it, it would be better for you to go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so, and now we're, you know, life's not perfect, right? You, you know, you have a, a drink here and there. That's one thing. But, um, but in, in general, uh, less is better. Okay. Wait, you, you did say the one thing about walking, and I always tell people the thing that seems to take my stress level down is exercise. Exercise, yeah. But for then sure. I think people all think, oh, exercise but literally that can mean right like taking a walk you don't have to be setting a land speed record here for sure there's you know you go out for a walk today say it's a nice day today you go out for a walk for 20 minutes it just feels right you know it, it we're, we're kind of made to walk and you know anatomically but also it's it's almost meditative you know it's so good for your mind to get out breathe some fresh air enjoy nature um i i think if you know that's better than anything they could ever put in a pill um, and it's and it's kind of the basics, you know. Eat good food, be around good people, um, exercise. They typically recommend exercising uh, about three times a week, twenty to thirty minutes. But I would say walking's great. It's, mm-hmm. it's a great start, and, and it makes you start looking at yourself as a healthier person too. And so it's a great habit to get in to get into. I think you know your last point. I think is well put because I at one time was uh, horribly overweight, and I thought, well, I can't do that. 
You know, and I, I all I would see were these commercials where people were running up the side of a mountain in their two hundred dollar, you know, running shoes or whatever. <laughs> but you know what I found out is is go out walk, drop ten, fifteen pounds, all of a sudden you can do a little more. And you wanna do more. And, and then you wanna do more. And and I think the other part is is that being selfish, it just felt good. You know, yeah. you didn't feel so sedentary, like a big lump. Mm-hmm. And then so it's like, well, I'll walk a little farther. I'll walk a little faster. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm hiking. You know, I mean, it was like, uh, yeah. but it starts with that taking a 20-minute walk three times a week. And you like know, I said, a stroll. If, if you right, don't even want to call it right. a walk, take a stroll. Just do it. Do it, yeah. Uh, Dr. Jason yeah. Edwards is a St. Luke's radiation oncologist talking about the research behind chronic stress and cancer. Before we go... Uh, Dr. Edwards, do you know many physicians who smoke these days? You know, it's actually very rare. Um, you, you know, um, back maybe 40, 50 years ago, uh, you could even smoke in the hospital. Um, but there's a lot of social pressure, yeah. um, not, o- not only to not smoke, but in the doctor's lounge, I, you know, people eat pretty well. And so, um, and so, and then you start to notice that most of your colleagues exercise, and so there's some social pressure that actually works for you um, at, at St. Luke's, at least, um, at, where the doctors are in, in general in pretty good shape. Um, That's a good so example. It's, it's rare. Yeah, if you go to YouTube and look at com- TV commercials from the '50s, they're uh, doctors in their offices smoking while talking to a patient. <laughs> I remember being a little kid with a doctor who was at least forty pounds overweight smoking a cigarette. <laughs> we did not know then. Dr. Jason Edwards from St. Luke Radiation Oncologist. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, doctor. You. On the Royal Banks, Missouri text line, somebody said Halls Ferry and two seventy Quick Trip in St. Louis County. Looks like something's going on there. So you just might want to be careful if you are in that position. Yeah, those TV commercials about <laughs> doctors smoking. I, I want to say I remember a doctor, a pediatrician. I was a kid. Was smoke? You know, had an ashtray right there in the the room where mm-hmm. I was at. And I was like, you know, but then again, I remember when there were uh, cigarette uh, ashtrays on the back of uh, the movie seats, oh. so that you could put your oh. uh, ash. You know, can you, you imagine that? Connor Connor is twenty six years old. I mean, can you imagine going uh, to a movie? No, there's there's not many ashtrays out and about anymore. <laughs> and so, I remember, I remember and that, definitely not inside. Well, so. you know, in theaters you did it, and I remember when uh, the Mark Twain. Theater, which if you remember, it was at Gravoy and Limburg, South County. And they decided they were going no smoking. And what they basically did was just divided the room in half. So this half was smoking, this half was not smoking. <laughs> and of course, the smoke would all drift over, you know. And I remember thinking, oh, is this good? This whole no smoking thing, is this going to work? Or how me? about airplanes? Oh, yeah. Have you ever been on an airplane, Connor? When there were smoking allowed? Uh, no, that was before my time. Right, yeah. right. And can you imagine people who are allergic to smoke? I mean, well, they still have the they still have the lights. Well, they're not going to change smoke, those lights. So. And I have heard that on some international flights, and I should have heard this was from an old coworker of mine who was in China. This was maybe twenty years ago. You could smoke on a plane. You could, and so that's, I guess, maybe why they Ugh. still make those little they, yeah, labels, they need those. I guess. Or, yeah. you know. We'll take a break here. Back in a moment. Joe Holliman, so sensible. We're sitting here talking about <laughs> yoga, meditation, but really breathe. stretch and breathe. Stretch and breathe. <laughs> 
we, we make it so hard on ourselves sometimes. And I think we build that in as an excuse not to do something. You know, I can't do downward dog pose or whatever. Yeah, but you can stretch. Right. You know, and uh, you can breathe. You know, meditation, it sounds like I'm embracing this so whole lifestyle. Agey. Which Take, is fine if you want to be if new agey, be, but if you're not. Try 10 deep breaths a day right. and try not to think about anything while you're taking those breaths. <laughs> you know, I mean, but, you know, but don't, don't make it so that you can get out of it. And I think that's what we do. I know I did that for years. Mm-hmm. If I can't do that, well, I won't do anything. Exactly. It's a dumb idea. All or nothing. But, you know, like I'll yeah. start my diet on Monday. Right. Until then, I'm going to pig out all weekend long. Right. And then yeah. I'm going to live on 800 calories a day. No, you're not. Right. I mean, you know, I'm only going to eat mung beans and uh, spring water. <laughs> it never No, works. you're not. Dr. Edwards from St. Luke's has a lot of fans in our listening audience. A couple of people said he was their parents' oncologist. Uh, also, Mike from accounting said, we had ashtrays in the hallways outside the classroom at Elmsville. Oh, yeah. We've been talking about this, though Connor at 26, thankfully, has no memory of ashtrays in airplanes or, no, or smoking a lot in less smoking now, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes sense. But he is also the generation that wears their pajamas to work, like we well, talked earlier isn't. in the show. Well, you <laughs> don't know, him, you don't know what I sleep in. I mean, <laughs> I sleep in this, uh... So those pajama pants are actually a step up. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Right. I got gotcha. you. Fair enough. Well, you know, <laughs> one thing they used to say, and I had a friend who became a trainer, she said, sleep in your workout clothes. And then she said, I would get up and say, okay, I'm going to do the treadmill for 45 seconds. That's all. I'm just making myself get on the treadmill. She said, so what do you think? I'm in my workout clothes. I'm on the treadmill, which happened to be in her house. But, you know, a lot of people break up with their treadmill, even if it's in their house, and use it as a clothes hanger. And she said, once I'm on the treadmill for 45 seconds, of course I'm going to stay there longer. And before you know it turns into longer and longer. You take those little baby steps and it does it. And believe me, this is not coming. If I don't mean to sound preachy and I apologize because I did every one of those excuses not to exercise. (laughs) You don't get as overweight as I did by making good choices. And I came up with all the excuses and none none of them were worth it. But look who he is today. And Joe Holloman will be back tomorrow. John Carney, Julie Buck up next. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Since we just get started